Man's great today, as always. By the way, guess who else is back? Mike Papali, our care pastor's here. Yes, keep praying for him as he's uh, fighting cancer, stem cell transplant coming next, and we're just so excited you're doing good enough to be with us today, Mike. Well, my name is Eric. If you're new to Gateway in South Austin, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. This is a place where we love everyone life by life, and that means you're important to us, and we want to help you on your spiritual journey, no matter where you might be. In fact, we have a special event for all you men in the room coming up the first weekend of November. We would love to have you join us at our men's conference. You can pick one of these up out of the Connect spot or just go online, getwechurch.com south and sign up. Galen Clark, Ted Beasley, an executive coach, Ben Sledge, an author and veteran. It's going to be a powerful time. And you can encourage, if you're a man in the room, come, invite some friends to come. Women, encourage the men you know to come. It's going to be a great, great time. First time we've ever done this, and we're super excited. It's going to be amazing. And women, we have a new community group for you on Wednesday night, something that just got started if you want to be a part of that. Again, ConnectSpot can help you with all these things. Well, we're in the midst of a series finishing up called Working With All Your Heart. In the last couple of weeks, we've been able to hear some remarkable stories, been challenged to move God to the center of our life, even when it comes to work. And if you missed either Amon Quadri, who's on our board and part of Gateway South, or Phil Wright, who's a, one of our spiritual overseers, I highly encourage you to go back and watch or listen uh, our website or our YouTube channel or our podcast. It was incredibly inspiring. And last week, Phil shared a story about God showing up just in miraculous ways, always at the last minute. And today, we're going to hear the story of a woman who grew up in Austin, has been part of our church, that at the pinnacle of what the world would call success, it didn't seem like anything was going quite well. I know you're going to love Lindsay's story, and the way we'll do this today is, is I'm going to share a little bit, we're going to hear her story, we're going to sing a song, and then I'll share some more, and uh, you'll still be out by 12.15, but I want to let you know, because we do the song a little earlier, and I had a few people in the first service kind of looking at their clock, like, what's going on? Uh, I'll come back up after that song, so don't, don't get uh, too far ahead of yourself. But our hope is today, as you hear her story, as I share uh, some passages of Scripture, that it might help you know where you're at, to kind of gauge, am I working with all my heart? Am I allowing God to be at the center, even of my work life? There's a great passage of Scripture that I think really challenges us directly. It's from the words of Jesus it's in Mark chapter 8. It says this, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, a disciple means a learner or follower. And what Jesus is saying is, if you really follow after me, then you are going to follow in my ways. And we're bombarded with the ways of the world that can be tempting. But sometimes we can forfeit our soul in pursuit of what the world says is good. What brings you here today, or any Sunday for that matter? Are you exploring what it might be like to connect with God? 
Or are you someone who's already following Jesus and, and you would say, yes, I'm absolutely trying to follow what he wants me to do in my life. Because it's very countercultural what Jesus is saying. If you want to save your life, you actually need to lose your life. In fact, he's inviting us to die to self, to serve others. And that's how you find your life, which is very different than what the world says. The world wants us to focus on ourselves. But when we do that, we could actually allow things that might be good gifts from God to actually become our gods. Where we look to our pursuit of success or to our jobs as if that will be what satisfies the deepest needs which only God can actually fill. God wants to guide us to become who he's created us to be. But we have to be willing to trust him and follow him in that journey. As you consider where you're at with God or when you, where you're at when it comes to career and the questions that Jesus asked of us, I want you to ask God to reveal any blind spots that you might have as we listen to Lindsay tell her story. I've spoken publicly in front of large groups several times. And anytime I'm asked to share my story publicly, I go through this very important process. Step one of this important process is immediate regret and imagining myself going back in time saying no thank you. Anyone else do this? The second part of this process is, of course, turning to YouTube to see how others do it. And then finally, step three, after a couple weeks of solid procrastinating, I turn to God and I genuinely pray, God, help me. Help me share the message that is needed. Luckily, today, it's just myself, a camera, and two guys, so I think we're okay, but I still pray that I honor God with my words. I'm Lindsay Ranga, and I'm going to share this message in three parts. So first up, I'll share a bit of my story. Second, I'll share two shifts that I made, which led to a more peaceful life and a richer connection with Jesus. And then finally, the third part, I'm going to leave you with homework. I know you didn't expect to get homework in church, but I'm going to leave you with two questions to answer. Okay, so first, a bit about my story. And keep in mind, this is the highlight reel version. So I was born and raised here in Austin, Texas. I was surrounded by an amazing group of Christian friends, which led to a powerful spiritual life, especially in my middle school, high school years. I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder, go Buffs, and upon graduating, I moved to Palo Alto, California for a job in technology investment banking. I worked a lot. It was high stress, but also really neat opportunities, like working on the Google IPO. After a couple of years in Palo Alto, I moved out to Boston, Massachusetts for a job in private equity, where I got to travel around the world, and I quickly became a top associate. During my time here, I decided I wanted to apply to graduate business school to get my MBA. So I applied to Harvard, Wharton, Kellogg, and Stanford, and I was accepted to these schools. I chose to go to Harvard Business School. And at Harvard, I was elected president of the largest club on campus. I almost struggled to get this out. I realize how arrogant it can sound, but keep in mind, this is the highlight reel version. Upon graduating from HBS, I was given an offer by Gary Vaynerchuk. Some of you may know him simply as Gary V, the popular social media entrepreneur. 
and I was hired by him to be CEO of one of his companies in New York City. So I moved out to New York City. I lived and worked there for sev several years before returning back home to Austin, where I was hired by a former boss to rejoin the private equity world. Not too bad, right? Sounds good on a resume, great LinkedIn bio. Now I'm gonna share the version of the story, which is true, that didn't make the Instagram cut. You will not find this on LinkedIn. And this happened over the same period of time. So at 24 years old, while I was working in Boston, I developed a life-threatening eating disorder. It felt as if it came out of nowhere, and I had no idea how to undo it. So I hid it because I was so ashamed. A couple of years into the eating disorder, I was diagnosed with osteopenia and a whole host of other health issues. I was told by doctors that I'd never have children, and I spent way too much time getting lab work for somebody in their 20s. Um, I went to residential treatment during the summer in between my two years at Harvard Business School, and I was hanging on by a thread, trying to keep that eating disorder life hidden and trying to maintain that successful life that looks so good to others. In fact, I was masterful at wearing this mask, pretending like things were fine. But on the inside, I was exhausted and caught on this never-ending hamster wheel of doing more and more only to feel empty inside. Maybe some of you can relate to this, to wearing a mask where everything looks fine on the outside, but no one really knows your struggle. It's almost as if I had this voice or this thought on repeat in my mind that said, you're not enough. Do more. Do more. No surprise, my plan wasn't working out too well. And I needed a change. It wasn't until a trip to India, where I actually disconnected from work for a period of time, that I found myself reconnected with God in my spiritual life. In fact, there was this one day we were hiking in the Himalayas, and it's impossible not to feel God's presence all around you. And there was this spot near the Ganges River where you could grip tightly to a huge chain and lower yourself into the water. So when it was my turn, I did just that. And I remember submerging myself under this powerful river, this powerful water. And as I came up from air, I had full body chills. And it wasn't temperature chills. In fact, I was taken back in time and reminded of when I was baptized in middle school, that symbolic gesture of showing the world that you've chosen to put Jesus at the center of your life. After I got out of the water, I hiked by myself up a trail and I sat on a boulder and I just began weeping and praying to God, God, please heal me of this eating disorder, release me from this pain and this suffering. And interestingly, in this moment, I prayed a prayer that I hadn't prayed for in over 15 years. You see, in middle school and high school, I was part of this Bible study where we would pray for our future husbands. And as silly as it seemed at the time, here I was 15 years later sitting on a boulder in India, and it felt comforting and familiar to ask God to prepare my husband, to prepare my heart so that we could love each other well.
Now, I'd love to tell you that I had some John Burke moment and God spoke to me like he did to John in Santa Barbara, but that wasn't the case. I did feel a peace. I felt a peace, and without a doubt, God set me on a different path to making two meaningful shifts in my life. And I'd like to share what those two shifts were. Shift number one was working to put God at the center of my life, and I continually still work at this. Part of putting God at the center is removing whatever is currently at the center. And in my case, it was removing the eating disorder. It was removing myself, my way, my plan, my version of success. And instead, it was inviting God's version of success. And I'd like to think if Jesus could define success, it would look like knowing God well. As I grew to really know God, that voice that said I wasn't good enough, it was replaced with a different message that said, slow down. Focus on me. See yourself as I see you. Slowing down was crucial to me finding freedom from the eating disorder, which I did. It was also important for me getting off that hamster wheel of working so hard to please everyone around me and instead working to please my creator. The second shift I made and continue to make was reassessing how I found my worth in my identity. You see, for most of my life, I found my worth in my identity in the world. How much money I made, my title, in that whole highlight reel version that I told you. I found it in the foods I ate, how much I exercised, and a number on the scale. And where we find our worth is what we'll give the most energy to. I did this exercise in recovery once where I was asked to write out my current values based on my actions, right? And then on another list, I was asked to write out what I wanted my values to be. These were very different lists. In fact, at the top of my new list was the word peace because my mind was like a battlefield. The Bible mentions peace hundreds of times, but one verse that I return to often is John 16, where Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. As I focused on these two shifts, there was no miraculous change in my life, but my values started to gradually change. And as a result, so did my life. In fact, it turns out the doctor who said that I would never have children was wrong, thankfully. God had a different plan in mind. I had three children. And the husband I prayed for, the one that God chose to me, chose for me, was somebody I went to elementary school, middle school, and high school with. And he is the best dad to our three kids. Another moment that led to my life changing was a conversation I had with my father. Now, for reference, at this time, I had recovered from the eating disorder several years ago, and we didn't really speak of the eating disorder. So it was surprising when my dad looked at me with tears in his eyes, and he told me how proud he was that I recovered from the eating disorder when there was no roadmap, no how-to. This meant a great deal to me, and it got me thinking, why is there no roadmap? 
I remember going home that night and I prayed on it. And I said, God, if you want me to do something with this, give me a sign. And no joke, that very week, a friend I knew from residential treatment reached out to me and asked me if I had recovered, and if so, was I willing to share how I recovered? Now, like any good Christian, I was like, no, God, if you really mean it, give me another sign. But this remained on my heart. I continued to pray about it. And then one day I went to my husband. Keep in mind, I am pregnant and we have a toddler. And at that point, we value stability and predictability. And I had a very stable job in private equity. And I went to my husband and I said, I think I want to quit my job. And I want to start a business helping other people with eating disorders. If you really want to spice up a marriage, try that on your spouse. But with my husband's support and honestly, God's vision, God's strength, I ultimately took steps towards building a coaching business. And I now have seven other coaches on my team. It's the best job I've ever had. And we've helped hundreds in their eating disorder recovery. Looking back, of course, I can see his hand in all of this. And I can see that sometimes when things feel like they're falling apart, they're actually falling into place. And that the hardest times in my life were an essential part of God's plan that led me to the most beautiful things in life. Okay, so finally, I'm gonna wrap up with two questions. Yes, this is your homework. I have to ask myself these regularly because I'm human, I'm a sinner, I mess up. And I don't think I'll ever arrive at perfectly knowing God. So these questions help me focus. Question number one, what is at the center of your life? I know from experience, God doesn't naturally fall to the center. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Question number two, where are you finding your worth in your identity? Is it in your achievements, your work, how much money you make, your kids, your marriage, the size of your house or where you travel or what you post on social media? It's not wrong to want these things, but when these values rule our heart, we will find our worth and identity there too. Or are you finding your worth and identity in Him, in being a child of God, in the mere fact that you're His, that He knows the number of hairs on your head, and that He created you with a specific purpose in mind. I'm 
have a seat. What's so beautiful about that song and any song, worship songs can actually help right-size our thinking. When, when, there, when we are in the middle of a week and everything is overwhelming us and we've been completely distracted and we've forgotten who we are, a song like that can reorient our hearts. What if we were to meditate on what's true instead of allowing the negative self-talk to get in the way? You know, Lindsay asked us a couple questions. What is it I need to do to move God to the center of my life? And where am I finding my worth and my identity? This song reminds us that we are God's sons and daughters, but so often we become slaves of fear. We become slaves to the ugly answers coming from life's questions. And that's why when we come before God with an open heart and an honest heart, recognizing our own humanity, it gives us an opportunity to start afresh. Just praying, God, here's my issue. Here's here's why I don't have you at the center of my life. Give me the courage to surrender. Give me the courage to let go of those things that I'm going to instead of you. I mean, do you turn to God at work? Do you turn to God when it comes to issues with your family, with your friends, when your faith is being tested, when the circumstances are difficult and challenging? Before I moved to Austin, I was a part of a church in Los Angeles called Mosaic, and my mentor there, his name's Erwin McManus, and he, he taught us through his life through the scriptures. What that meant was he was always willing to share authentically with where he was at and how God was speaking him through the scriptures. And it really challenges me because I like to talk about what I overcame, not what I'm trying to overcome. And so it's been really hard this summer sharing about my relationship with my dad. If you've not been here uh, or you're new I I lost my dad last month, and there were years where I did not have a good relationship with him. And honestly, looking back, I can tell you, it was me wanting him to change to become someone he could never be. And I came to a place of peace with who my dad was. And we had, in the end, some really beautiful times, even over the summer, as last fall he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and then in June, diagnosed with cancer. And this summer, my wife and I would go every Tuesday that we could, and, and we'd spend the day with him, give my mom a chance to get out of the house and get done whatever she needed to get done. And we had some really beautiful moments together. And it was this weird combination because, because of the Alzheimer's, he didn't remember he had cancer. And so we just had a, these very pleasant conversations, and he was unaware that he was slowly dying. And so there was a moment I shared about a couple weeks ago. There was a moment when I was just overwhelmed with doubt. And I just prayed out loud to the Lord, God, I need what I say I believe to be true. As I knew my dad was about to die, I needed comfort knowing that there is life after death. 
And I, I shared a couple weeks ago just the miraculous ways that God answered that prayer. I mean, he showed up in so many amazing ways through experiences that I had, conversations I had, songs that I listened to, scripture passages. If you want to hear it, just go back a couple weeks ago and listen. But I have to tell you something else that happened just recently. We had this experience at our staff meeting. Our pastor of prayer, Tara Browder, led us in this experience that is a part of the Hearing God workshop, where you write down your name on a piece of paper, you fold it up, you put it in an envelope, and then you seal the envelope. And then she takes all the envelopes back, and you don't know whose name is in the envelope that she then mixes them up and passes them all out. And you're supposed to ask God to speak to that person through you. Now, it's a really hard experience because you're having to learn how to hear God's voice and how do you know that thought is from God or not and and you're kind of wrestling through that and it's easy to get distracted and so I'm praying and I'm asking God to speak to me and I I wrote down several things that I I hope were an encouragement to the person who received them but when I got mine I was at first incredibly disappointed and confused because what you're expecting is like a, a word from God that's a real encouragement And what I got was this. She wrote these words. Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Now, if you don't know that story, it's actually one of my favorite stories from the Gospels. The the stories written about Jesus' life and ministry. But, But I want to be a person of faith. I don't want the message from God to be, remember that guy that did not believe If you don't know the story, there's this moment where a man had a sick son and he took him to Jesus for help. And Jesus says, tell me more about your son. He says, how long has he been affected in this way? And then the passage picks up in Mark 9. The dad answers from childhood. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And I can't help but think Jesus with a smile on his face says, if you can. Everything is possible for one who believes. I mean, this is the son of God, the one who's been bringing people back from the dead, helping people who could not walk, walk, helping people who could not see, see. And this man comes to him and says, if you can do anything. And Jesus says, if I can do anything, everything is possible for the one who believes. And then the man immediately says, I do believe. And then I think he realizes, wait a minute, Jesus might be able to read my thoughts. Help me overcome my belief, my unbelief. In a moment of transparency and honesty, he realizes, I don't have enough belief for this moment. So when I read those words from someone who doesn't know me, who doesn't know what I've been going through, I knew it was God's way of saying he sees me. In the moment, I didn't have enough belief for what I was going through. Jesus ends up healing that son. And although my prayers went unanswered in the way that I wanted them to, I wanted God to heal my dad, to give us more time. But instead, even though I don't know why he went, when he went, or why he went in the way he went, I can trust the one who does. I may not understand all that happens in life, but I can trust the one who gives me life. And so I knew this was from 
the Lord. It was like an inside joke from God. And then listen to what the next words, or you can see on the screen, what the next thing she wrote from God to me, I love you so much, my child. I am with you. Trust me. It's exactly what I needed to hear. And maybe you need to hear that today. God is saying to you, I love you so much, my child. I'm with you. Just trust me. What is your next step to trust God? Is there an area of your life that you've been pursuing, like Lindsay, and maybe you've gotten there and you found yourself absolutely miserable? You see, her prayers were not being answered. She was asking for God to heal her and be able to keep that job. See, sometimes God does not answer our prayers because he knows that if he were, it would be bad for us. And so she had to open her heart and mind to a place of surrender, to surrender, to die to self. What is God asking you to die from, to give up, to surrender What is your next step? Is it choosing to follow him? Is it choosing to get baptized? We're celebrating baptism next Sunday. Is it to set up a meeting with someone that you need to say you're sorry to or someone you need to forgive? Is it reaching out to someone to help them along in their journey? Is it to come to restore tomorrow night to begin your own recovery journey? What is the next step that God has for you? Because I believe he's telling that he loves you. He just wants you to trust him. And on the other side of that trust is his presence and his peace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are there for us, that you see us. You know our hearts cry. And even as you mourn with those who mourn, You allow things to happen that break your heart. We can still trust you. And we have hope in life beyond this life, that this is not all there is. And for that, we are so grateful. And you give us a glimpse of heaven on earth that we can experience your peace and your presence now and bring more of heaven to earth in our home with our friends, with our family, and even where we work. God, would you show us how to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, how to love our neighbor as ourself. God, give us the courage to take whatever next steps you've put on our hearts. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.